0: Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Suzanne Dibble. Suzanne is a multi-award winning business lawyer and the founder of a small business legal academy, a business which helps small businesses legally protect themselves in a simple and affordable way. Suzanne is also the author of a GDPR for Dummies, an Amazon number one bestseller, which provides a clear and simple approach to how small business owners can comply with complex general data protection regulations. Suzanne previously worked as an associate with DLA Piper. During this time, she was seconded to Virgin Management and worked for Richard Branson. She has also worked as a senior legal counsel at ITV, dealing with numerous high-profile deals. So, a very, very warm welcome, Suzanne. Thanks for having me, Rob. Delighted to be here. A real pleasure to have you on the show. So, before we dive into all your amazing achievements and legal experiences to date, we do have a customary icebreaker question. So, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the reality hit series Suits in terms of its reality?
1: Uh, <laughs> I do love suits actually I have to say I have a have a massive crush on Harvey and actually in that regard it was quite similar to DLA Piper because I worked with a corporate partner called Bob Bishop who is the spitting image of Harvey in suits and, and has all the same mannerisms as well so in that regard it was believable actually the other thing that was believable was was the long hours we certainly had a, a good a fair share of that in terms of the glamour, there was no way that I looked like any of the women <laughs> in that series at all. Um, in terms of the interest of the cases, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> and in terms of the, um, I think the way that particularly that Harvey approached negotiations, I think uh, the, the, we certainly didn't see any of the unethical approaches that, that he took. But it's, it's a fantastically entertaining representation of, of, of a, a corporate department in a law firm. And I, I loved watching
0: it. There you go, there you go. So would you give it a sort of mid-five mid or less? Five or six, yes. Yeah, good. I love that, that you had a kind of near, near kind of life-suits experience from your time in, in practice. But let's start at the beginning then. So tell us firstly a bit about your family background and, and upbringing.
1: Gosh, uh, so I was very lucky. I went to a private school based in, in the Northwest, and less lucky in, in terms of the career advice there, which was very narrow-minded. It was either if you were good at science, you were going to be a doctor, and if you weren't good at science, you were going to be a lawyer. That was it. <laughs> so, as you can probably imagine, I wasn't good at science, and, and was very much uh, steered down the, the legal route. Uh, so, I did placements, uh, you know, at a law firm, a very local law firm in, in the little village that I lived in Warrington, in Stockton Heath. When I was about sixteen, um, I liked it because the, the partner drove the flashiest car that I'd seen in Stockton Heath. So, I was very impressed by that. I seem to remember. I'd love to have some story about how I, you know, had a, had a really keen sense of, of justice and things like that. But no, I was actually attracted by the partner's flashy car. Um, and and it, it didn't put me off. You know, I was interested in it. And from then on, I, I chose A-levels that were complementary to, to a law degree. Um, I went and did a law degree at Sheffield University um, and, and then law school at Nottingham and did a placements in all the usual city law firms. And, um, and and ultimately, it was just on that sort of traditional <laughs> legal path. There was nothing at all exotic about my arrival in the law, I'm afraid to say. It was a very, I was going to say it was a tough journey. But back then, you know, this was, this was sort of 96. It was tough. But I think people probably today have it even tougher. I think there's probably more competition and there's more expectation than there was then. Saying that, I know that for the training contract at DLA Piper that I secured, I know there were 1,600 applicants for every place. We had to give a presentation to a panel of partners um, and various other aptitude tests. So it certainly wasn't a walk in the park to get that job. But I imagine it's, it's harder today. And then, yeah, I did my training contract in actually at the Manchester office of, of DLA Piper and then moved down to London on qualification. And um, I have to say, you know, it was, it was the right law firm for me. I loved my time at DLA Piper. I still think of it. I still talk about it as we, even though I left in two thousand and six. But it was very instrumental in my legal career.
0: Okay, so that's interesting. Let's build on from that because you mentioned DLA. Because before running your own business, you were a corporate lawyer. um, I believe mainly working on private equity and private company matters. So, what was that like? What experiences did that provide you with?
1: Yeah, it was it was fascinating. When I was a trainee in Manchester, I was. I wouldn't say running, but I was the number two. There was the partner and myself on you know hundred million pound deals, which was fantastic experience. And I loved the uh, the cut and thrust of it. I loved the fact that you, it was the kind of deals that you'd be reading about on the front pages of the FT or in the you know, financial sections of the newspapers. Uh, it was it was very exciting for a you know ultimately I was mid twenties. Uh, some great life experience. I was in room full of you know sort of thirty middle aged men with me negotiating with those men. And it was taught me a lot of lessons. Um, Yes, I experienced some sexism. The best was when I went to a meeting when I was a trainee, shook the... And I like to think of myself as a confident and assertive young lady, put my hand out to shake the hand of the the client and he gave me his coat (laughs) rather than shake my hand. And there were the obvious assumptions that I was there to make the tea and things like that. But, you know, I, I think as a general comment, I never really felt... At a disadvantage because I was a woman and um, I I think of them as very humorous examples, but I didn't feel that there was any discrimination within within the the firm. Great experience in terms of project management. I was project managing deals across multiple jurisdictions with hundreds of professionals um, working on those deals, exposure to multinational board level clients from a very early age. And being seconded to work with Richard Branson was fantastic it's always great to have a celebrity story to break up the monotony of a legal career and and to be able to go to parties that is home in Holland Park. We went for a dinner, just four of us to a restaurant just off the King's Road. We went clubbing after that. So to have these stories about such a legendary entrepreneur, particularly with what I'm doing now, working with entrepreneurs and small businesses, they would literally eat their right arm off to have any kind of face-to-face contact with Richard Branson. So for me to have have had that contact and to have known him was was a fantastic experience. And and again, the way that that worked was it was their very first secondment at Virgin. And I was up against, I can't remember exactly how many, but it was a good number of um, lawyers from other law top law firms. So certainly Alan and Overy, yeah. Clifford Chance, Linklater's, Freshfield's. And I don't know, what I did in the interview, but they liked me, and I—I I was their very first um, secondee, and got to work on some really very interesting matters and very broad ranging as well. Uh, you know that because of the diverse nature of the Virgin Group, I was doing a deal in there. They had the um, balloons, Virgin Balloons Company at the time, so I was doing a deal oh, yeah. on that. I was doing a deal on their airline in, in Australia. I was looking at all of their new venture capital proposals that were coming in because they had quite a large venture capital team within Virgin Management. They had hundreds a day of pe- people, you know, writing in, would Richard like to partner with me on X random idea? And, but they did take, you know, quite a few of those through and actually invested in those and partnered with the Virgin brand. So seeing that process was eye-opening as well. I always say when people ask me, why did you become an entrepreneur? I think it really was from that time at Virgin where I got very excited about the whole entrepreneurship world and seeing what was possible and just seeing the the virgin emphasis on making the consumer experience better
0: i love that and what an incredible accolade to 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 have achieved and i guess that was going to be my next question in terms of you know obviously being seconded through virgin working with richard branson what was the one key learn you would take from that experience you you said that obviously gave you your entrepreneurial bug which is great but is there anything from that particular experience taking from the legal side for maybe lawyers listening in that you garnered from being so close to a serial, you know, one of Britain's most successful entrepreneurs of all time.
1: Certainly in terms of managing people, he was one of the best because what his real skill was, was in finding the best people and then letting them get on with it and empowering them to get on with it. And then what he did alongside that was really live the brand. So I mean, we all know that all of the public facing things that he's done, all of the publicity stunts that he's done, he is the brand to an extent. But when we went out for dinner at a very small and intimate restaurant in Chelsea, somebody across the way on on the table next to us saw him and started chatting. And he could have been, you know, he could have shut them down and said, well, actually, I'm here on a private dinner. Literally within 20 minutes, the entire restaurant had pulled up a chair around our table and Richard was regaling them with stories of the Virgin brand and I think if anybody hadn't have been a uh, a fan of the Virgin brand before that night they certainly would have been after and he did that in in everything that I saw Um, and he really did love the brand so they were probably the two things that I took away from him. In terms of how their legal function um, was built um it was it was lean and mean actually you know at the time i was mm-hmm. there helena helena samaha um who's still a great friend was was their group counsel uh she did a fantastic job but then probably a few a few years after i left um she moved to paris and josh bayliss uh took over and he's obviously now ceo of the um entire group yeah which is fantastic for a lawyer to have taken those steps because it's not that common that that happens somebody who goes in as an in-house he was a general counsel of the group, but then very quickly actually was promoted to CEO of the whole Virgin Group. But yeah, it was a very lean and mean team. It was it was me and Helena in the head office, and then probably one or two in each of the larger group companies. So for the size of the group and for everything they did, really, it was it, it was efficient. It was it was lean.
0: Okay, that's really interesting, actually, because you probably would have thought the, the the opposite. So thanks for sharing that. Okay, so it doesn't stop there. You've also worked for some other really impressive companies, and you're previously senior legal counsel at ITV. So what exactly did that entail? And what would you say was the most interesting part of that role?
1: Yes, so I loved working at ITV. Again, mainly because you had brushes with celebrities in the lift. <laughs> so, you know, chats with Anton Deck in the lift brighten up your morning, as does you know, yeah. I chatted with them, I chatted with Victoria Wood, I chatted with um Ricky Gervais. Regular contacts with celebrities in the list makes your day. Um, but the mm-hmm. most interesting thing legally that I worked on was the digital switchover project. So when the TV switched from analog to digital signal, I was the uh, the only lawyer on that, which was a billion pound deal, the biggest deal that ITV have ever done or are probably likely to do. That was a great experience. and um, And we... I work very closely with one of the commercial guys there called Simon Pitts. He's now CEO of STV up in Scotland. And I tip him for coming back and, and ultimately being CEO of, of ITV. He's a fantastic individual. But to work with him and to have been involved, and, and I say the only in-house lawyer on, obviously we had external counsel because it was such a big deal. Just really us two leading such a key project not just for iTV, but for the t- television industry was uh, was hugely demanding and interesting.
0: Yeah, it sounds super interesting. And yeah, it's it's not a bad life bumping into good old Anton Deck every morning.
1: <laughs> Who are tiny, by the way? They're tiny. You think there's a big one and a small one. They're both tiny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go.
1: I moved to Hampton's estate agents um for a couple of years after ITV. I was headhunted to go there and be their legal director and was quickly promoted to be on their main board. And as a result of that, was listed in the Who's Who Business Elite for two years on the run. I think the only reason I was is because I was under the age of 35 and on the board of a, um, I think they were turning over like, you know, sort of 150 million at the time, something like that. So I think that's purely the basis on which that was done. And that was fascinating as well. That was my first board experience. And again, gave me some great commercial insights. Been that sort of journey from pure law over here towards more the commercial side and and entrepreneurship. So in twenty. 10, I was pregnant with my first child. And I thought, "Mm, I'm, you know, I I want to have more flexibility, because even in house, it was a demanding job. So I thought, right, I'm going to set up my own practice. And I really actually wanted to start something that was nothing to do with law, but very swiftly came to the conclusion that I didn't know anything about anything else other than law. Mm -hmm. So I set up my own legal consultancy, and very quickly became oversubscribed to the extent that I was working the same hours as I had been in the city, but for significantly less pay. (laughs) So I thought, right, something's got to change here. And I was really passionate about helping small businesses, particularly mums like me who'd left corporate jobs to work around their families. And I wanted to help more people than I was able to do. So I thought, well, I can either expand by taking on lots of lawyers or I can look to put in place a one-to-many model where I could productize my expertise and help more people and keep the costs very affordable, but they're still getting the legal support that they need. And I decided on the latter, which I thank my lucky stars for every, pretty much every day that I wake up because I'm really not the best people manager. And, you know, who doesn't love the idea of earning money while you sleep? I certainly like that when I wake up and check my bank balance and see that it's, it's grown mm-hmm. overnight. And so I put in place the Small Business Legal Academy, which is effectively an online platform, which has all of the resources that small businesses will need. So things like obviously legal contracts, disclaimers, policies, procedures, video guides, checklists, case studies, ongoing trainings, everything that I can think of that will um, help them to put the necessary protections in place. And an online course that guides them through the kinds of issues that Are likely to pop up and how they then deal with them. And what I was hoping is that I can educate and empower small businesses to put protections in place so that they don't have the problems that I see so many small businesses experience, which is always so much harder, more time consuming, more costly to actually put right rather than have had the one page document in place that it would have taken to prevent the problem in the first place. Um, So that's what we did. We set that up in an early iteration actually in 2011 but we we put it into the the sort of online platform was built in 2013 and yeah since then we've helped tens of thousands of small businesses via that and and various social media channels and yeah we've we've loved it and when we keep putting more in expanding on it obviously we've got ongoing trainings that keep small business owners up to date with what's going on and what they need to know and yeah it makes me exceptionally happy to be able to help as many small businesses as we can do um, in a very leveraged way so that you know I'm not burning out in the process of doing it or or having to have huge, unwieldy teams that, um, that I'm not brilliant at managing.
0: yeah I, I can relate on the the management pieces as well, so you're, you're talking my language. I think there's room for improvement from my side on that, but I, I love what you're doing, and you're doing a fantastic job, and I believe you recently ran a five-day spring into action challenge to help reinvigorate online businesses. So can you tell us a little bit more about this?
1: Yes. So I, like I say, I'm all about education and empowerment, and I've been running my own small business now for 10 years. Um, So I've made a lot of mistakes just generally in business. So I wanted to help my small business community by bringing together other experts um, in the field. So we had four other speakers as well as myself, and it was effectively a free course, a high value course, but it was free um, to help small business owners to put things in place like, obviously, we had a, a whole session on the legals, um, but also things on sales, overcoming objections, social media, and how to excite and engage your audience, um, join venture partnerships and how to make those work for your business, and also how to scale without overwhelm. And we had a fantastic response. We had nearly 2,000 businesses registered for that. And the feedback we had was tremendous. And I know that from from reading that feedback, that it's made such a difference to people's businesses already. People, by the end of the challenge, it was only five days, by the end of the challenge were already sharing success stories from what they'd learned and already implemented. So we liked giving back and doing things like that. But also it was a great opportunity to promote a new product that I was launching off the back of that. And that's been tremendously successful. What I hope to achieve was to show small business owners how firstly why it's necessary to protect their business and then how it can be very very easy to do so if you've got the right guidance and the right resources and importantly how it can be affordable because you know the studies still show that the majority the vast majority of small business owners go it alone in terms of legals they don't have any support at all Um, and with the average cost of a problem for a small business owner being nearly seven thousand pounds it's my mission to educate them as to the risks that they're taking and then show them how they can very simply and affordably put in place the protections that they need.
0: Yeah, and I think again, once again, it sounds super, super helpful what you're trying to do to particularly to support that community. So as as we've been talking about, you know, the Small Business Legal Academy helps small businesses legally protect themselves. But what's the key piece of advice you would give to anyone thinking about starting their own business? What's the reoccurring issue that you see? that people really should think about um, before perhaps getting started?
1: I think you've got to be really clear on who you're helping, what their problem is that you're helping them with, and why you're the best person to be helping them. So marketing basics, really. Just making sure that you've got that viable product, making sure that you've identified your audience and that it's an audience that you can easily reach. I find a lot of people say, but I can help everyone. Well, that's great. But unless you've got a huge marketing budget, you're not going to be able to find everyone. So to have a marketing niche is really key. And to really understand that niche and understand how they think about things and understand what their problems are, understand what's important to them, and then work out how you can solve those problems and best communicate that to them.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I think, you know, I would strongly encourage people to check out what you are doing because it really is supporting right from the start, the small businesses that are trying to get off the ground. So we must also talk about your book, GDPR for Dummies, which has been an Amazon number one bestseller. So can you tell us a bit more about the book and have you always had a passion for writing?
1: (laughs) No, Um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, I had RSI from typing it. And uh, yeah, my publishers were not very um, understanding, let's say, when it came to my RSI and deadlines that we were coming up against. Um, but the reason that it came about was because I, obviously, I'd had my small business community since I set up my legal academy. And GDPR came into force or was coming into force in, in May 2018. And, and towards the start of 2018, I started to see that there were lots of questions about it in various Facebook groups and people, not legal Facebook groups, just business Facebook groups, and and people were answering the questions about it without any knowledge whatsoever of GDPR or the law. And and, and, and nine times out of ten were giving incorrect answers and people were just taking that on face value. And a number of times I had to step in and say that's absolutely not the case And I just realized that there was nobody really serving the small business community in terms of demystifying GDPR, which at the end of the day is a very complex regulation. And what I found was that actually GDPR is obviously building on an already existing data protection framework, but most small business owners have no idea what it was all about. It was only really because of the increased media exposure and the increased fines that it became an issue for small business owners. So I found that they were very um, confused as to what to do. They didn't understand the basics. So on the 28th of February, 2018, I can remember that moment very clearly. I was walking the dog in the cops. I, I thought, right, how can I help these people? And at that point, I committed to post a video a day for 90 days, which was the period of time until the GDPR came into force from that point. And I did that. I formed a Facebook group. It very quickly grew to 40,000 members within a couple of months. Wow. And um, I posted a video a day with the aim of really breaking it down and making it really accessible for small business owners. And it was all free, obviously. That was a massive help to so many small businesses. We produced a GDPR pack off the back of that. And that made me a lot of money, which was very nice. But it wasn't really the reason that I set the group up. I just wanted to help small business owners know more about this this subject. And it really annoyed me that they were, going, they were going for advice to people who knew nothing about it. And, and we're generally just the people that shouted the loudest in networking groups. Um, so, so that was a great success. And then about six months later, I thought, well, the group is great. But what I think people need is a, just a really comprehensive resource that they can, can underline bits, they can flag bits, they can go back to it. Just It's easier to access than all of the video guides. And so I approached Wiley, who do the, the Dummies uh, series of books, and um, said, you know, how about it? And they bit my hand off. Um, they'd previously actually been in touch with me out of the blue to ask me to write the Dummies Guide to um, Law for Small Business. And I'd said no to that. And actually, Clive Rich of um, LawBuy ended up writing that one. So I just reached out to my contact who'd initially made contact with me and said, how about it? And they said, yes. And so, yeah, we, we thrashed it about a bit. We got a really detailed table of contents together. I mean, it's 400, 443 pages long. It's a weighty poem oh, and it's it's big pages with small writing on it. But we wanted to make it comprehensive. And obviously, the reason I was keen on partnering with the Dummies brand is because they are all about taking complex subjects and making it so easy that anyone can understand it. I did it for small businesses, but actually what I've been really surprised by is the number of data protection professionals and DPOs who've bought it and have just emailed me out of the blue to say, what a great resource. Thank you so much for writing this. So I think at the last count, uh, we've we've had 195 reviews on Amazon. The vast majority, I'd say 90% of those have been five star. Um, and, um, And yeah, I'm really pleased that I wrote it. I know it's been enormous help to so many people, but it did kill me. And if you ask me if I would write another one, the answer is probably no. (laughs) (laughs)
0: well at least you're honest but testament to all the hard work you put into the success you've been receiving so thanks for that and as we mentioned you are a business lawyer you set up your own company author of a book you know on your own website you run a blog you provide all these free resources now how do you manage it all and what do you put your success down to
1: it's a good question um i think with with help is the answer um so obviously i've i've had two children during that time and um, and that's been hard to juggle everything but my mum lives close by she was an incredible support in the early days my husband's very supportive um i had a full-time nanny i've got a housekeeper you know i've got a team so really it's i think it's it's my drive to help more people together with a team that believe in me and who are great at what they do that's that's how i've been able to juggle it all
0: yeah, no, I, I love that. I think you can't do it with the right support and infrastructure around you. So I, I love that you shared that. Okay. And finally, as a female business owner, someone who has successfully moved out of the corporate world to their own business, do you think women are currently reaching their full potential in terms of leadership positions of power?
1: It's a very interesting question. I was very ambitious about climbing the ranks of the LA Piper in my 20s. I had my eye on the managing partner role. I was on the fast track to partnership. And ultimately, it got to a point where there were two two pivotal things why I left the law firm. One is I was 30 and wanted to have children. There were no real female role models, certainly in the corporate department at that time, who had children. Um, In fact, there was one female partner who had a young son and I heard her on the phone on a Monday night saying, don't cry, darling, I'll see you on Friday. And that memory has stayed with me all these years and was indeed one of the reasons that I was thinking that it's just not going to be what I want. I don't want to have a full-time nanny where I never and, and never see the kids. Yes, I've had a full-time nanny, um, not all the time over the past 10 years, in, in parts of that time, but I've been around as well to see the kids. Um, and, and I knew that I didn't want to be stuck in a law firm and never see my family. So that was one issue. The other issue was was down to health. And I was just getting recurring minor illness after minor illness. And one of the partners at the law firm actually suggested I should go and see the doctor. And the doctor did all the blood tests and all the checks and talked to me about my lifestyle and said, well, you're lucky, there's nothing wrong with you now, but you really need to take this as a wake-up call and start doing things differently, or you will have something that will... So be a serious problem for you and this was in the backdrop of two of the corporate lawyers one had been off on long-term sick and um, suffering with ME and the other another one had a similar similar illness so it was it was not um, you know I was, it was certainly on my mind that I didn't want to drive myself to the point of that and, and, and really burn out and um, so both of those things really just made me evaluate what I wanted in life and um, and I took the what was at the time a very big step to because I loved that job absolutely loved it I loved the firm and and I loved it but but those two things the health side and the not being able to spend time with my family side really were instrumental in me thinking it's just not going to work as a career for me now I don't know if it's changed you know this was this was sort of 15 years ago and um, has it changed I don't know maybe there's Less need to spend as much time in the office. I don't know if that's changed. Maybe it's, you know, there's more family friendly, flexible working arrangements. I don't know. I suspect it's still incredibly difficult, if I'm being perfectly honest.
0: Yeah, I I think think it, it is a little bit. But I also think this, you know, the pandemic has been a wake up call that it can't stay like that.
1: Let's hope so. Because I think if those two things hadn't have been present, which ultimately both the health side was... You know, due to the hours, it was due to the fact that you you didn't have time to eat right. There was no time to exercise. It was incredibly high pressured. It was all due to the the, just the the fact that you were expected to work round the clock if that's what it took. You know, and if I think you've got a law firms have got to be better at managing client relationships and putting their people first and saying that's you know that's just not sustainable for us. That's not how we do business. And what I love now about being my own boss. Is I have the ultimate flexibility and the ultimate freedom, and I do whatever I want to do if I want to when I get up in the morning, if I want to do something, i'll do it, and if i don't i won't and um, and I just absolutely love that. I think i'm actually un- unemployable now because I wouldn't trade that for anything really so yeah it's um I hope that it would it will change, but ultimately whilst whilst women we can't do anything about it we physically have the children we generally want to be the ones that are there for the children when they're younger and um, and so there's always going to be that inherent inequality if you like in in terms of um, being able to progress through a traditional law firm I know some women who've gone back to it after a career break some actually have done it incredibly successfully and haven't really they don't seem to have missed a rung on the ladder they've, they've gone back in at a high level but I think they're very few and far between certainly all of the women that I went to law school with and we were we all had jobs at top city law firms there's about 10 of us none of us are working in those law firms now um, some of them have been yeah. teaching assistants some are working at home part time for you know in-house for um, certain companies as a, as a lawyer but none of them are in those those roles anymore so it's, it's a shame because such talent um, and I'm sure the legal industry could could really do with that talent and, and that investment that's been made in their careers. But until there is no longer that presenteeism in the office and that attitude of we'll work as many hours as it takes to keep the client happy, I don't think that's going to change.
0: Yeah. And you, you touch on so many points that I, I, I relate to as well as um, a business owner. It's just a testament to your values, family first, health is wealth, look after yourself. Because if you can't look after yourself, you can't look after your clients or anybody else. And flexibility, you know, it's on your terms. So it's a risk, and you know, but the risk does equal the reward if you put in and you're passionate about what you do. So you talk all of my language on that. And and that really brings to a lovely close our our discussion, Suzanne. It's been lovely learning a lot more about your career and all the amazing from celebrities to high profile legal work to your own business and tons and tons of success. So if people want to follow or get in touch. About anything we've discussed today. What's the best way for them to do that? Feel free to shout out any web links or relevant social media, and we'll also ensure that we share with this episode for you.
1: Yeah, the best way uh, is probably on Instagram, actually. I'm trying to build my Instagram account after years of neglecting it. So it's only been in the last couple of months that we're actually doing anything with it, but I'm enjoying it as a platform. And it's a natural follow on from Clubhouse, uh, where I believe. I don't know if it's still the case because I've had a period of absence from it, but I do believe that I have the most followers of any UK lawyer. So, um, so I think that is still the case. I've got about nearly 11,000 followers on Clubhouse um, in in literally a couple of months, which is fantastic. So yeah, so Instagram, you can follow me. It's just uh, at Suzanne Dipple on Instagram and uh, that's probably the best place. Um, and then you can obviously private message me through Instagram. I do keep an eye on my, my DMs. Uh, so yeah that's probably probably the best place and you, you can see more about me on my website suzannedibble.com
0: fantastic well thank you so so much suzanne it's been a real pleasure having you on the show wishing you lots of continued success with all of your entrepreneurial and legal pursuits but from all of us on the show over and out every week we're going to read a review from apple Podcasts. this week's review comes from Steffi.57. Steffi says Perfect podcast for law students and beyond to get engaged with the legal world. Really helps you kickstart thinking about law in practice and bridge the gap from academics to the real world. 10 out of 10. Thanks so much for a fantastic review, Steffi. It really means a lot to all of us who produce the show and motivates us to keep bringing you the very best quality podcast. Make sure to leave the podcast a review on Apple Podcasts if you want a chance to be given a shout out next week.